0: Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole Nisbommer-Naflik. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Actually, this is Randy, and welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast. Working from home is suddenly this new norm for millions of people around the world. And this presents some unique and varied challenges for individuals, since quite honestly, working from home isn't something that we're typically used to, and from both a structural or a discipline standpoint. And to that, we may not only have to need to manage this for ourselves, but suddenly our partners or spouse are there, maybe other family members, and they're all needing to do the same. And then even others, you might now have kids around you. So the Storytelling with Data team has been working from home since day one. It's a remote and distributed team. And we thought it'd be great to bring the team together and share some tips, tricks, as well as ideas to help ensure productivity and, and, and maybe even some sanity. How to be optimally connected and collaborate with your team and with technology. And then most importantly, engagement. So how do we maintain engagement with each other, the mission, and what we're all trying to do? All this, again, while avoiding going crazy as you socially distance and isolate yourself in your home environment. But we have here today, Elizabeth, Alex, Mike, and myself, Randy. And full disclaimer, there's a higher than 0% chance of kids interrupting podcast. We've entered this perpetual bring your kids to work day. So you might hear cats, dogs, but you know, that's the new norm and it's not always a bad thing. So welcome, Storytelling with Data team.
1: Hi, Randy. Hi. Hi, Randy.
0: Why don't we do a quick intro where you're podcasting from?
1: I'm Elizabeth, and I'm coming to you from sunny Charlotte, North Carolina. Hi, I'm Alex, and I'm coming from
2: Lancaster, Pennsylvania.
3: I'm Mike, and I'm coming to you from five stories above beautiful downtown Bethesda, Maryland.
0: Nice. And again, Randy is calling from dreary, cold, somewhat rainy southeastern Wisconsin. In terms of your setup right now, why don't you describe what your setup is looking like, and specifically, what do you see to the left of you, and what do you see to the right of you?
1: Well, Randy, I am in my bonus room, which is the quietest part of my house that I can possibly be. Uh, To the right of me is my golden retriever at my feet, and also a picture of my husband, Colin, and a monitor, and to the left of me, I have my printer and an open window where I can look outside and get some glimpse of the of the nice day. And also my notes scattered in several different places about what it is I want to tackle today and this week, which I'm sure is something we'll talk about, about how we all approach our workload each day.
0: Mike, what's, uh, what's to the right of you? What's to the left of you?
3: Well, to the right of me is just a, a bookshelf and not all that interesting because what's interesting is to the left of me is the windows to the open area and also two kittens sleeping on the windowsill basking in the sun because i am in our shared office my wife and i both work from home although now we both work from home much more frequently so it's a shared office that i'm in right now
0: alex
2: Certainly a theme going on here. I'm definitely in a bonus room as well. I have books to my right, most of which are data viz books. And to my left, I've got my dog.
0: For me, I would say on the right, I have a nice window to a view of rain in dreary Wisconsin, as well as a keyboard. I have my electric keyboard so I can add the music side of things to my daily regimen. And speaking of that, I'd love to know just from a workplace and room setup, and I'll put that out there for anyone, what advice would you give for people who are about to or have already converted some space, bonus room or what have you in their home office? What advice would you give for how best to set up? your work environment?
1: Well, I think, Randy, you heard a common theme with all of us and you know, try to find a quiet place, which I realize right now is hard for everybody because there's a lot of other things around you all the time. But I think whenever possible, you can look for opportunities to get in a quiet place. If you're going to be on video calls think about you know what's behind you is it a blank wall is it not a blank wall is there something there that might be distracting or it might work to your advantage as a conversation piece you know depending on who you're talking to so just try to think through in an ideal setting where could you go to kind of recreate the office or the environment in which you're used to working and just trying to find as many opportunities as you can to replicate that
0: And you talked about a little bit on this things in your background. So you're not only talking from, I'm assuming, when you're doing video conferencing and connections of what maybe is even seen as your backdrop, but also the importance around creating a similar environmental work environment that feels maybe familiar to what you had done before.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we all work differently. We all have different ways in which we like to work. And so just trying to find what that environment is in the way that it'll be able to still put you at your best to do what you need to do in this sort of kind of crazy, chaotic situation we've all been thrust in. Others, Mike?
3: I can say that I started working from home when I started here at Storytelling with Data, and I was wrong about a few things that I expected that it was going to be difficult to not have this barrier between what is work and what is home. It actually became a much more fluid uh, situation where it didn't really matter to me to have a strong barrier for some people that's going to be very important to have that clear demarcation between i'm in my home and now i'm in my office at home for Mm -hmm. me that wasn't an issue for me it was more as it turned out about how comfortable can i be in my home office which is why my suggestion is uh, the most comfortable chair you can find because you're not going to want your chair to be the thing that wants you that motivates you to leave your workspace so I do have a very comfortable office chair. We have uh, a couch here in our shared office. And the other thing I would say we have is more wires than you would imagine in a wireless world, because that really helps us when we're doing the video conferencing to have wired connections. Uh, currently, we're on—we all are using laptops. My laptop has seven things plugged into it right now.
0: Alex, uh... What are your thoughts? What do you suggest as uh, best advice for people who are about to or have already converted some space in their home?
2: My best advice would be to think about ergonomics. So for me, I have a bad neck and a bad back. So it was important for me to actually get a standing desk. Not to say that you have to go out and splurge on a desk. I definitely created my own standing desk at one point with by turning a laundry basket upside down and kind of making this makeshift situation here. But I think it's Being comfortable, to Mike's point, and just making sure that you can stay in the setup for as long as possible. And as you said with the coffee machine, I definitely have an espresso latte maker in my office, which is very key for me. So thinking about what you like to have and have it available so that you can work comfortably from home.
0: I second that on the standing desk. Very desk is a great option. It's a little bit pricier, but it is really good in terms of automatic up and down. I actually incorporate my standing desk as part of my morning habits and rituals, which, you know, standing is better for you. We know all the studies to show that. I will start the day in a standing position and say that I need to get at least 10 of my kind of core tasks done for the day. And then I can put it to the seated position. <laughs> so I kind of use that as a way to help drive the productivity. I want to go back to something Mike said about this surprise for you around what is work, what is home, and that um, you actually thought it might be more of an issue. And I'm curious, especially when it comes to maybe even work hours and such, there seems to be a blend of it. Do you think that with more people working from home that we're going to find people have a harder time separating when the work time starts and when the work time ends?
3: I think that there are going to be people who discover that the actual work time of their work hours was a much smaller percentage than they originally thought, and that there might be the opportunity to get a lot of the work done in a fewer number of hours. And then since there's not the commuting time and there's not all of the time doing whatever else you would normally be doing at work, then it doesn't have to be that much of a hard line between doing work and not doing work. I actually found it was much easier to multitask in the sense that you can do you know taking care of things in the home while you're also working like oh you can swap this laundry around like oh you can you know like empty the dishwasher just like things that don't have to back up on you uh, because you can just quickly go take care of them and then come back and and, and get back into the flow of work
0: do you think this is going to be a challenge I mean I think for some of the larger organizations where they suddenly created a large workforce that's remote and working independently, this divide in needing to be flexible with hours might be perhaps unique to their in-office culture. But now we have new things such as childcare issues or when, when your child needs a, a certain lesson or curriculum from the school that you're helping out with. This need to be flexible, I think, is what you highlighted that helps you to do that. But there's concern to make sure that we don't just end up being all in. And so is, are the things you do to make sure you know when you, and this can go for any of you, but like when you know it's kind of a stop to your work time so you can focus on some of the other things?
3: I feel like my normal rhythm of work is late. like I'm much more productive later on. So to me, the stopping point is when I feel like I'm done. But the starting point is much later than what other people's starting point would be. So I end up being more productive that way. I feel like if you're an organization and you're trying to manage all these different people who have all these natural rhythms of life that are not all in sync i think they might find that what happens is they end up protecting some core hours on some core days and say okay you all have to be available during these times but it's not 40 hours of the week or not even 30 hours of the week it might just be okay on these days during these hours you're going to have to be available or you might be called to be physically present on those days if we don't want to end up being entirely remote or if companies aren't comfortable with all of their work staff being entirely remote.
1: I want to kind of echo something that Mike said, which I think is really important. And really what this all boils down to is you know, whether you're working in an office or whether you're working from home or whether you're in the field or you know, from a coffee shop, what really matters is what are you trying to solve for and what do you need to do to do that So I think when you can think about that and take your thinking there, then it becomes much easier to kind of structure your day or or your week or your hour, depending on what you are able to give in this situation. And I I keep coming back to the situation because I think, you know, there's the whole broader how do you work from home situation. But then there's also a situation we're in where we're dealing with childcare issues and homeschooling and other things, too. So I think the same principle still applies. It's, you know, what's the most critical thing you need to do in the time frame in which you need it? And it's protecting that time. So to give you an example, like I'm a morning person. I do my best work in the morning. What that means is outside of this particular situation, like I'm not scheduling doctor's appointments in the morning or I'm not doing anything else. I'm protecting the best time of the day that I do my best work. Because once I've felt like I've achieved what I need to achieve and have some next steps, then I know that I'm done. And that looks very different each day, depending on what I'm working on.
0: How do you imagine this playing out when, as Mike said, is you have large organizations where you have different teams. And One of the things about being in office for a workforce is we have this generally agreed upon time that people show up and we try to work together. And there's kind of this natural cadence of when we take breaks and lunch and when things start to wrap up. And so we can go based on visual cues. We see everyone going to lunch, heading out. We see people putting their jackets on maybe at the end of the day. So in the absence of that, Uh, how do you think we can think about making sure we're sensitive to that knowing we have all these new variables in for people who are working without those visual cues from seeing each other?
1: Yeah. And I think that's a hard one because, you know, to your point, like you sort of have those cues when you're with other people, right? And when you're at home, one minute you're in your bonus room working and the next minute you're in your kitchen making dinner for your children. And you don't have that sort of transition time or that sort of, kind of ritual shutdown, if you will, that you get with a commute. That for me is a challenging thing to try to, you know, balance just kind of being in both environments at the same time. I'm always switching back and forth between the two. I think, you know, when you're at the end of the day, if you have a hard stop, like your children have just come home from school or you have to go pick them up or whatever your individual situation is, like still look for those kind of cues to start shutting down and use that to guide you.
0: Yeah, we have a team, as you know, in Spain, that's working on a lot of the technology that we work with. And so now we're not only dealing with not being in the same location, but also the time zone differences and such. We found that using some of the different technology has been helpful. There's a lot of tools out there, but of course, you know, Slack is pretty popular and they've been very good about making sure their statuses are updated around that. And that's the technology tip where you can use your technology to send those cues of, know, I'm making dinner, I'm, I'm heading out, or just things so people are able to better play off those cues that you would normally get from being in person. From a productivity standpoint, when you think about your day, we talked about finding the right rhythm in the morning. Has anything changed for you when you switched over to the storytelling with data team with regards to the way you would manage your own productivity?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So on my end, I think the biggest difference is that you're in charge of your own workday when you're home rather than kind of reacting to other people in the office. So for me, I usually start out my day by figuring out what's the main thing I want to work on. And I don't necessarily count hours anymore as much as I figure out what's the most important thing for me to do that day. And am I in the mood and in the best headspace to actually do that. So I get to be more specific about what I can do that day and what I'm what work that I'm going to create that's going to be the best.
0: Mike, what else did you find yourself needing to implement?
3: Oh, I found that similar to what Alex said is being in charge of your own schedule also meant that I was freed up to have that schedule if I wanted to expand across the weekend if I wanted it to. And I know that there are other people, Elizabeth, we've talked before about you are very much like I I protect my weekends. And for me, it's very different. It's if the weekend is when I feel like I can get ramped up to work on something, then that's when I will do it. And the same as to what Alex said, like I wouldn't necessarily count hours during the week in order to do that. It's sort of just letting it flow and fit into the rhythms of life rather than letting it be something that I want to remove from the rest of my life. And that might not work for everybody, but it does work for me. And (laughs) the other thing, which, you know, Alex enjoys making fun of me for is that I'm very reliant on sticky notes. Now, everything that I intend to do, like I will write down on a sticky note and then I throw it up on my wall. And that is now my to-do list. So much like her gauge of what am I, feeling like I can accomplish the best today based on what I have to do. That's what my sticky note wall is telling me. Like I can pick and choose from amongst what I have left to do. What do I think I'm in the mood for? What do I think I can, what's been up there too long that I really need to take down? And what have I been avoiding for 10 times longer than it will take me to actually do? And then just knock all that stuff out. And then feel better about it.
0: I like that this theme of kind of measuring your own output and managing yourself has kind of emerged. That's one of the things Cole and I, when we look at how we've organized things around using OKRs. We did a, a podcast a while back on OKRs. It was something we both learned at Google, which is this idea of really mapping out what are the key things that you're trying to accomplish over three month period, and they're the objectives that you personally set out and you hold yourself accountable to those. And in many ways, with the organizations I've been a part of in the past, this is why we were able to implement such things as non-tracked vacation, for example. Because in many ways, we measure output. You know, We don't measure when you're sitting in your desk to get that work done. So why should we measure when you're out and, and not in the office? And I like that you've highlighted this because I think it is an example of something that can work in organizations if you really make individuals responsible for what they're what they're accountable for.
1: Yeah. Isn't it, they're saying it's not the hours you put in, it's what you put in the hours. And I think that kind of applies to what we're talking about here. You know, when you're really focused and dialed into what you need to do, it, what matters more is what you're doing than the amount of time it takes you, I guess, in some way.
0: What's worked for you when you find yourself demotivated and you're you're finding that a lot of distractions going on, you're feeling like you've lost this momentum. What's worked for you? and your kind of self-hack for getting back in the groove?
3: Uh, For me, it's doing something that is creative because I think that is how I got into this field in the first place is by generating, you know, visualizations by creating work for clients, but also for the public. And a lot of times that demotivational feeling comes from, I don't feel like I'm generating anything. I feel like I'm spinning my wheels and treading water. Incidentally, I can't tread water, so that's it's more like drowning. Being able to do something, whether it's tangential to work or however tangential it is to work, doing something and being able to see it feels like, okay, now I'm doing something and now I can get rolling back into it, back into whatever it is that I need to do because I feel like I'm making something and adding to whatever the world needs.
0: So say more on that, though. Are you saying... So somebody's sitting there, like they find themselves, I'm just not being productive. You know, it's called that presenteeism where you're you're present, but you're actually not there. You're maybe checking your Facebook, you're reading Twitter, you're reading like the latest news that's freaking you out. Are you saying that if somebody finds themselves in this cycle, that just doing something creative is going to help them to get back and focus to work? I mean, the core part of your job is obviously creating and being creative, but I just would love to be able to translate this to people who are trying to figure out all right, what's something I could do to get back in the groove?
3: The core part of me is being able to do something creative. And that is why it works for me. I think that everybody on their own knows what they value or what motivates them and have to translate that into whatever works for them in a professional sense.
0: What about others? You find yourself ever where you're like, do you just call it a day? Like 8.30 a.m., I just not feeling it, time to call it a day.
2: The short answer to that is yes. (laughs) Um, I'm definitely someone who, if I'm in a rut, I just stop because I'm just wasting time. So I'll go do something else. And I'm sure everyone on the team has gotten late night emails from me because I'll pick it up later in the day when I'm in that sort of mood. But usually I'll go for a walk or change my location usually helps. So I don't know if I can do it now, given uh, the climate here, but I usually go to a coffee house and just sort of changing my environment helps me feel like Mm. it's a new day, I can start over. But nine times out of 10, I'll stop or I'll talk to a coworker and just generate different ideas and then start over again.
1: Yeah, and I'll echo what Alex said. I find tremendous value also in switching up my environment. So, you know, if it's going to a coffee shop or just sometimes going downstairs to kind of give advice to someone who's now thrust in the situation and we don't have the benefit of leaving our house, is it's funny how just sometimes being at a different place in my house will still achieve the same effect. And then I think that's also recognizing that, you know, you're going to have sort of ebbs and flows in your energy throughout the week or the day. And that's okay. And taking advantage of that, because I always kind of take it, I always kind of use the analogy of like, if you were driving from, let's say, Charlotte, North Carolina, right now to Milwaukee, where you are, Randy, like, I'm not going to drive from there A to B without stopping to get gas and get food and things like that. Like, there's no way I could make it on a single tank of gas. So I need to think through like, where am I going to stop for gas? Where am I going to fuel up? Where am I going to rest? And that's really important as you think through how do I get through a week or even a day right now? Because I think some people right now are struggling to just get through an entire work day, whatever that may look like in their own situation. So recognize the importance of planning breaks and taking breaks and it's okay to do that.
3: Now, Randy, um, Randy, gas <laughs> is a fossil fuel that internal combustion engines
0: use. I, I was going to power yeah, I was ask about that <laughs> as a, uh, you know, as electric car owners, we just—I <laughs> had to translate it for myself, and I was imagining me plugging yeah. in at a Tesla supercharger, and so I—I I did kind of get the takeaway. But I appreciate it, Mike. The translation was helpful because it's been a while since I've had one of those. Um, of- I like to be a helper. You—you <laughs> you are. And, and on that topic of technology, I'd love to get a sense of, from a technical standpoint you know, some thoughts. I mean, clearly video conferencing, we can see Zoom stock has been going up. People are getting that there's a lot of emphasis on technology. We use Hangouts, which has been, you know, a helpful platform for us. When we think about the technology out there, what are some of the things that really help you feel connected and allow you to collaborate and really help bridge that gap if you're not able to be, you know, together?
1: Well, I think Google Docs is the first one that comes to mind for me or any other sort of shared collaboration um, software. We use, you know, the Google suite and we have a doc, I feel like, for everything, (laughs) although we're working to to consolidate that into a a single place. But, you know, that's the, the best way I think we work together as a team, like an example of a project right now we're working on is, you know, we kind of got a really good idea and then one person might run with it. And they start a doc and they outline some ideas and say, well, I'm not ready to you know, tackle this piece yet. But, hey, you know, Mike, when you have some time or Alex, when you had some time, can you weigh in? And so we just kind of have a central centralized place where we're kind of keeping track of where we are in certain things. And I think that's really helpful to do, too, because we all have our own individual projects and our own individual kind of where we are in them. So just having that centralized place and kind of seeing, okay, well, you know, Mike hasn't responded to that, but that's fine. Cause he's probably working on this other project, you know? So, and just, you know, checking in with each other too. I think our um, chats are always a fun, we have. <laughs> it's
0: funny you say this, you say our chats and so somebody who's not used to using any of these tools might be thinking like, oh, I thought you guys were what do you mean, your chats you get on the phone? Like say more on that. What do you how do you connect and communicate with Alex or Mike?
1: Well, it's interesting because we get together as a team. I mean, okay, it's March. We haven't seen each other all in person yet, right, this year, right? Or have we?
2: I've seen <laughs> the fact that I'm being, Jody. But yeah.
1: But the fact that we're even actually having this conversation. Kind of proves my point is you know i talk to you guys almost every single day and feel like i'm super connected to you but yet i don't know when i've actually last seen you in person like i am literally going through the like the calendar thinking when did i see mike yeah. last right like so i think that's how you know if you have a really good connected environment it almost doesn't even matter if you're using the tools that you have which we all do appropriately
0: how are you all actually connecting? You mentioned, you know, we have Jody; she's in another location, Cole. What's the cadence and frequency and how is it actually happening with all of you?
2: So daily, we chat constantly, I'm oftentimes about work, but we also have just fun conversations, memes, sharing things that are going on in our day. And I think that helps sort of the camaraderie with our team.
0: Let me just jump in. Is this through emails? Is it through your Hangouts? Hangouts? Is this through video conference? Yeah, so oh, chat okay. service
1: is so you- online. To give you an example, Alex, this morning was helping me figure out where do I buy milk for my two children? <laughs> because that is an issue I'm struggling From with From Pennsylvania. Now. As I'm sure many people listening to this podcast will be currently, I don't know when we're going to release this. Um, maybe by the time it's released, this issue has been answered. But that would be an example of conversation we might have on chat right now. In addition to, hey, you know, can you show me where these slides are? Because I'm creating this and, you know, can you help me with that? Just to give you one example. I have a hard stop in 10 minutes because I do have children that are going to be arriving. So just, yeah, but again, to your point, that's okay. (laughs) As we all do.
3: Well, yeah, actually, that's an interesting element of this situation is we always worry about being professional when we're on camera or in talking with clients. But I think we're going to be in the world of there's going to be kids and animals and all kinds of things happening that is just going to be the new normal for this is part of work. And I, I kind of like the idea of y- you all know my cats make frequent appearances <laughs> in our in our staff meetings, and, and I'm not always aware of them. Sometimes, Cole has said like, "Oh yeah, a cat fell out of your tapestry behind you while you were talking." <laughs> I'm like I didn't know, but that's just that's just part of it. And I don't think that's a thing we should worry about. I think that's a thing we should celebrate at this point.
1: And the, and the situation right now is we just all need to, you know, be empathetic and graceful with everyone's individual situations as we try to navigate this whole new normal. And I think we're starting to gel with that. And I'm hoping those of you listening who are struggling with that, you know, can kind of pick some things we've picked up on. But for us, that's also something new as some of us are not used to having our children in our home as well. So just struggling and dealing with that.
0: Clearly, video conferencing and chat is going to be that great way to stay connected And I've heard a lot of both really creative ways to leverage this within your company, everything from having kind of virtual happy hours or having an ask me anything session where the executive is on there and people can just chime in. And then Elizabeth, to your point with the new dynamic of kids, I heard recently one CEO who did a story time with his kid and then actually let other employees come in with their kid and listen and watch. And so I think there's some real unique opportunities, everything from Know, virtual yoga classes to kind of an MTV crib style of share your remote office tour, ways in which we can use technology that we may have used already to feel feel more connected. When you think about your own evolution with video conferencing, especially as now Storytelling with Data is doing a lot of virtual workshops and such, what pro tips would you give to somebody who's thinking about their own presentation or how they're going to appear on video conference to their colleagues or maybe to a client?
1: Well, I think one thing you'll learn that you'll kind of get used to is you don't have that. If you're on a video conference, you have the ability to read other people's cues because you can see them. But sometimes you present on video conferences where you can't see anybody and you don't have those cues that you would have. That almost becomes even more important to communicate in a way that is easy for other people to hear. So, you know, providing them those visual cues, like, okay, now I'm ready to transition to something else. Or, you know, if you're showing slides, there's ways you can animate your slides to make things appear so that you can walk your audience through what you're talking about.
0: Other tips for being your best on a video conference.
1: I think
2: from a tool standpoint, lighting is key. Having a good microphone, or dialing into a meeting so that people can clearly hear you. But when you're on video, I think my best tip is to listen because you can't always read people's visual cues. I think you're listening more to how people are responding and just paying closer attention to what they're saying, the tone that they're communicating. And so I think that's a good point is when you are remote, you have to be very wary of your tone, whether it's through video or in emails or chat. So, you know, emojis are great, exclamation points, parentheses, just clarifying for someone so that they understand that you're saying this in a supportive or exciting manner rather than perhaps they interpret it the wrong way.
3: Yeah, I would say that to Elizabeth's point about animating things, people are going to be looking at whatever slides you're presenting for a long time. You can catch their attention when you're live in front of them with your expressions, your face, your body, but you can't do that as much when you're remote so you i feel like you need to have a lot more transition in your slides not like wipes and stuff i just mean there has to be more new things for people to look at uh in your in your presentations you can't let them be staring at something static for too long because you will lose their attention it's too easy for them to click onto something else or just wander off like the the stimulation has to keep coming thick and fast and i think as you speak you have to remember not to be speaking into your computer like you're just talking to yourself you're still speaking to an audience you're still speaking to people and your voice should sound like you're projecting to people who are there on the other end of of your computer it's still people that you're talking to not your keyboard
0: yeah there's a sense that i'm getting from all of you around this idea around awareness and understanding that this is a new a new way in which they're going to be engaging but like just understanding how you appear lighting why would i need lighting well what is, what does your camera look like? Is that classic? You get the, the glow from the laptop or have you set some other lights to brighten things up a little bit and more bring your face forward? A microphone obviously is, is important. I think with uh, zoom, for example, is a great product. You can do recordings of yourself to get a sense of seeing what you look like when you have that on and you have the right mic and the right lighting and even the right background for that matter. I think it's going to become interesting whether people use these virtual backgrounds. I'm on the beach or your clothes hamper behind you with a bunch of dirty clothes, all fair things that could be in the background. But I think this general awareness and not only yourself and how you're coming across, but also how somebody might receive you and, and how they're responding to you, whether that's with your slides or, or yourself in person. So given that we're a distributed team and you're remote, what are the things that you feel like we do at Storytelling with Data that really helps you feel connected to what we're trying to do as a company?
1: So for me, this goes beyond working from home. This kind of goes back to what is the mission of your company. And I think at Storytelling with Data, we have a really clearly defined mission and that is to inspire positive change through the stories we tell with the data that we have. So I think when you have a really clear focus on, you know, what it is you're trying to solve for and how you can help people do that, it helps you keep connected to the work that you're doing every day and want to, you know, reach out to your colleagues and say, Hey, you know, what are you doing today? Like how's your day going? Or pull in people when you need help. So I think it's it goes back to the work that you're doing and the culture in which your organization operates and that almost transcends where you're working. So it almost takes on a different conversation around this isn't really about working from home. This is about your organization's culture. Alex?
2: I guess to echo off of Elizabeth, I think the most important thing is the transparency that we have. So I think we all have a good understanding of how the business is going, if things are changing, if we need to shift our priorities. And we also have open communication lines to the top. Granted, we're only six people, but we meet with Cole on a weekly basis as well as the entire team. We're always encouraged to share our opinions on any new ideas. And I think the most valuable thing from storytelling with data compared to some of the other roles I've been in, have been that anytime we launch something new we're always brainstorming with each other. So we all brainstorm different ideas that we could attack things. And then we also all attack what would be something that might go wrong with this new idea or this new product. And so I think it really helps because we all essentially have a voice in the final product.
0: Mike, what do you think makes this harder for different companies?
3: Everything that makes this harder is the fact that it happened instantaneously. For for better, I mean, basically instantaneously, if we had known like, if it was like, okay, everybody's gonna have to start working from home in about a month, like it would have been time to like ramp things up. But the fact that everybody was just sort of dropped into it with no particular warning, like makes it that much harder. It's, it happened right away and it's of indeterminate length. Um, so that that makes it such a bigger challenge. And that's where if your company already had it in place, if that was already part of the DNA, then you're probably in a much better situation than if your company was resistant to it or had traditionally been resistant to it. But that doesn't mean that those companies won't quickly adapt. It just means that they have to quickly adapt against their will (laughs) by and large. Um, But there's no option now but to do that.
0: And I think that's a great way to wrap this up. We are in fact. Connected creatures. I mean, it's, it's in our DNA to come together, to solve problems, to work towards a common goal. You think about our species survival as dependent on it since the start of mankind is this ability to come together. And yet it's interesting that our species faces a threat now that targets that very nature of who we are. The fact is, we need to connect, and that's what ultimately is enabling a lot of the spread of, of the virus at present. You know, the good news is that we're highly adaptable creatures. Yes, we're still figuring out what working together will look like. We're evolving the way we're connecting and finding new ways to do things that we thought were only possible in person. For example, we now do workshops that are, are virtual, the Storytelling with Data virtual workshop. And you can do it all in the comfort and safety of your own home. But you know, in the end, we'll, we will get through this. And it's funny how that's become an almost cliche expression now. You know, we will get through this. But I think that actually speaks to the fact that we're programmed for both optimism and seeing the way we can get out of situations like this as well as the possibilities. And that's what helps us persevere. Thanks, everyone, for coming together. I hope some of this was helpful for our listeners. We'll share all the notes. Uh, and remember, you know, community is important. So be sure to check out the Storytelling with Data community at community.storytellingwithdata.com, where you can find new ways to learn, connect, collaborate on telling your data stories. Thanks, everyone. Be safe, be healthy, and we'll hear you soon.